0: stats booms
1: bus sleepers listen to adam and vincent with fantasy pandemic on monday and thursday evenings via anchor spotify and apple podcasts be sure to follow them on twitter at fantasy pandemic at fantasy cajun and at FF fflittlefinger
0: Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Pandemic Podcast. I am your host, the Fantasy Cajun himself, Adam Bryce, along with my co-host, Mr. FF Littlefinger himself, Vincent Argrave. Uh, tonight, we're going to discuss some rookie rankings in redraft and dynasty formats. Uh, we're going to kick it off with quarterbacks, but first, Vincent, what do you feel? How do you feel about Andy Dalton getting cut by Cincinnati and getting signed by Dallas for a, a nice, sizable contract for a backup?
1: Very nice sizable contract I think uh, it's definitely a a uh, play from the New Orleans playbook you know pay uh, if, if you think you're in your window to win you need to have an option in case the starter goes down or in this case the starter holds out for the beginning of the season and you need to make sure that you don't lose that opportunity and they sign somebody that can be a good game manager and turn around and hand it to Zeke and get it to their receivers quickly and let them make plays so i think it was a good signing i definitely think it was a slap in the face to dak but i think jerry's going to tell him that if they can franchise him this year i think next year will be the big payday but who knows jerry's on a 250 million you know dollar yacht stay on the world right now i'm sure he can find the money
0: <laughs> that's what i was going to ask you <clears throat> i was going to ask is that's more of a, a slap in the face to to dak Or is this, uh, well, they're still going to pay Dak, but this is really just more strictly an insurance policy. I kind of think you're right. I think it's more of a slap in the
1: face to Dak. Yeah, I just, it's, it's he, Jerry, I think last year with Zeke holding out and Jerry put his foot in his mouth and then put all the public opinion to support Zeke, even though Pollard looked really, really good. And then probably come to find out if Jerry would have played hardball they would not be in such a financial strafe right now. And Pollard could have got them through a few weeks and Dak and the offense could have kept them going. And Zeke would have lost leverage similar to Melvin Gordon this past year. <laughs> you know, so I think this is that insurance policy in case, you know, Dak and Zeke, you know, are talking, he's like, do what I did, hold out. And now they're it, the Cowboy. If Jerry just doesn't have to say anything and they just, Try to keep it professional and business. And if Dak holds out, they have a competent quarterback to function um, throughout the you know offseason and into the beginning of the year, if it goes that far.
0: And that'll be interesting if something like that does happen. <clears throat> I will definitely be interested to see if uh, Dak does decide to hold out. That will definitely create some drama in Big D. But uh, moving on to Andy Dalton's replacement, and that's in Cincinnati, that's Joe Burrow. You know, when I sat here and thought about these rankings and I went through them and I kind of started questioning myself, you know, where would I put Joe Burrow in a redraft ranking versus where I know where I would put him in Dynasty. In Dynasty, obviously, he's the number one quarterback to me, uh, the one, of the, the number one rookie quarterback in Dynasty at this point for rookies. But for a redraft league, it's kind of hard to think because – uh, you know you gotta really think is is Burr gonna step in and be able to produce for on a fantasy level uh in a week in, week out. And I think he may go through some struggles at Cincinnati. You know, you got a new you got some new receivers there. You know, Joe Burr is gonna be the new kid in town. He's gonna be learning a different offense. And you've got you've got some definitely you got some talent around there. But I just wonder where Joe Burr really slides in. I've actually slid him in right around 16 kind of behind Daniel Jones and in front of Aaron Rodgers and Phillip Rivers and Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I think it's a little aggressive, but I think when the season ends and when Joe Burley finally gets clicking with some of those receivers on offense, when Joe Mix can run the ball and, you know, they've really beefed off at the offensive line. I think Joe Burrow could have a more later end of the year impact for fantasy purposes versus, say, the first six to eight games of the season. Because I think he could struggle a little bit, you know, getting his groove. But I think once Burrow gets in that groove, he could be someone you're starting in your fantasy playoffs.
1: No, and (laughs) I, I think the ranking is bold. I think your ranking reflects the season, like, culminative of all the scoring and I don't necessarily draft that way. Cause I usually go in with one quarterback. So I would expect your rationale to work in maybe where he ends up ranking wise, but depending on how low that beginning of the season is. And again, right now, you know, they're saying the season's going to start on time, but is there going to be compacted and really cut out practice time? Like, is he going to get those reps that Daniel Jones got last year? So I don't see putting him – I think there is some upside, and I think on the back end of the year, he absolutely could be one of those guys. But, you know, rookie quarterbacks come in, they fluctuate a whole lot. Uh, you know, the best advice you – know, the, the, the only request he got from Peyton, you know, and told him that he'd be okay if he broke his rookie record of most interceptions. So, it's uh, – it, it, the sky is not always bright for rookies, especially the beginning of the year. So, I probably will not own Burrow in a redraft – Dep- I guess depending on how deep the benches are. If you're in a deeper bench league and, you know, you can know who you play with. If you – everybody in your league drafts two quarterbacks and all of a sudden, you know, you're holding – you know, you're looking there and you're like, I have Ben Roethlisberger and nobody else. Like, Roethlisberger may be a good pair-off with Joe Burrow and you probably don't have to pay for either of them. So, you know, I think that it's, it's, it's definitely some upside. I think it's probably – Later in the season, and even with what mobility he has, he's not going to have that floor that Kyler gave you last year. So, I'm a little more hesitant. I have him at 21 for that upside, and it's some reflection of the latter uh, the, as far as the late season push that he could have. You know, I have him ahead, of, but I have him ahead of low upside people like Cousins and Rivers and Minshew, you know, and stuff like that. So, I do have him a- ahead of that group, but again, I do everything at tier. So, I have him and two in that same, you know, they're below 20 for me. If I'm going to roll the dice on a young quarterback, it's going to be Daniel Jones or Drew Locke, people that have experience in the league that are in their offense that aren't going to a new culture, city, everything. Um, So it's it's definitely bold, we'll give you that, but I'm I'm not feeling good at all about rolling week one out there with a Bengals quarterback or a Dolphins quarterback, because they're still similar to the team they were the year before.
0: Yeah, I, I totally get it, and I'm not I'm not advocating for anyone to go out and draft Joe Burrow, you know, in the tenth round and start him game one. Yeah, this is more of an overall season ranking for me. But uh, to me, Joe Burrow is probably you know in a hometown draft, he'll probably get drafted in the thirteenth, fourteenth round. But in, in in a in an expert draft, Joe Burrow probably doesn't really get drafted in a redraft league unless you said it, you know, unless there were you know uh, a deep Deep bench league or a two quarterback league of, the, of that, some of that format. But, <clears throat> you know, the next guy we have on our list is Tua. And obviously, I think it's kind of goes for the same thing for Tua here. Um, you know, he's got Fitzpatrick playing in him, who I would expect to start uh, at least six to eight games, in my opinion. And, you know, one thing about Fitzpatrick is he's going to put up numbers, it may not be the best numbers, and it may have some interceptions coupled in there, but he's going to put up numbers where. He may give Tua some time to sit back in that offense, you know, even if he doesn't get you know, practice and OTAs in and rookie minicamps in. Tua is going to have the ability that Joe Burrow is not. Tua is going to be able to sit behind a veteran quarterback who is smart as fuck, I'll give you that, with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he can learn a little bit. He can sit down and mature a little bit and watch the game from the sidelines and let his mind evolve and see how fast it is up close, you know, compared to, you know, playing in college football with Alabama and the SEC. But, you know, as a, re- as a redraft, you know, I, I don't even think two is even – he's not even worth someone you're going to take. Um, obviously in Dynasty, he's definitely the second quarterback on the board for me.
1: Without a doubt. But so, you know, if you're looking at the redraft, yeah, he's definitely a uh, top two pick. You know, if you live in South Beach, maybe, you know, go with the hometown guy. Uh, I think everything I said similar to Burrow. As far as expectations, uh, I think that, you know, if you you look at these guys, you know, week nine and later, and that's, you know, week eight, week nine, depending on where the buys are, there's probably, you know, I don't, the schedule hasn't been released yet. But, you know, if Cincinnati has a week five buy or if the Dolphins definitely have like a week six buy, it's going to be that week seven is when you look to pounce on Tua, for example, and maybe you could don't have to draft <laughs> him and you can wait till, you know, week five to get him. So I think that there is similar... There's going to be a very similar course, I think, this year from the, that point going forward. I think Joe has the upside because of the talent around him. You know, Mixon is better than Howard and Breida, And, you know, the, his receivers, as high as I am with Devontae Parker, I'm probably in a vacuum. If A.J. Green is healthy and playing, A.J. Green is still better. And then he has so much better pieces um, in the receiving court around him. I mean, they got, you know, Preston Williams is going to be able to help and Gasecki's good, but, you know, to have um, to Boyd, Ross, and Auden Tate, along with A.J. Green and Mixon and, you know, everybody else they put in there, it's just the upside is going to be significant.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, uh, we're going to have to – we're going to be running through these quarterbacks quickly because we're already moving on to Justin Herbert here. And, look, I'll, I'll be final honest with you. I don't think Justin has any, any redraft appeal at all. I'm not, he's not even big on my dynasty list. Um, he's not someone I don't I think is going to be very successful with the chargers. So I'm not advocating for you to draft them into redraft. Um, if you really you know, feel like this is your guy and you want to go out and draft him and you want to plant your flag and draft Justin Herbert in Dynasty, by all means, go right ahead. You know, Do what makes you feel best. It's your fantasy team. Go out and draft Justin Herbert. But me personally, that's not someone who I'm going to out and draft. It's not someone who I would target. And I would just let someone else
1: take that landline. Yeah, say, at Dynasty, he'll be a first-round pick regardless of format. You know, Obviously <laughs> super flex. He has more, much more value, but Start. There are only so many starting quarterbacks, and you know you're going to lose the older guys, and you're going to have to make those plans. So if you've been in a dynasty for a while, and you're looking at Drew Brees and Brady and Stafford and Rivers, and you know they've been your guys, or that's been your one of them's been your number two in a super flex, and you got to look to replace those guys, and that's a good situation to be in, to where you could take Herbert this year, and if he pans out, and hopefully you're, hopefully you have Brees, you've been successful in the league, you've been winning, you have a late first round pick, you take Herbert because it doesn't hurt you in the upside there. Because if you get a starter in the league, that's going to pay dividends. You know, people that did that, you know, the last couple of years with uh, the New York quarterbacks, whether it's Daniel Jones or Sam your Darnold. boy Sam Darnold, now they're about to really start paying, you know, they're going to start paying dividends. It might not have won you any games the past couple of years. But, you know, if you had those guys and there's been turnover, you had Andy Dalton or whatever. So there, there's going to be upside, you know, dynasty, appeal, redraft, he is the same as everything I just said about the other two guys, but just lesser because, you know, I think that a veteran quarterback, I, I think a quarterback with a different skill set could come in and perform with San Diego. I think Joe or Tua would have been a fit that could have even if, – if Tua would have ended up in San Diego, I think him and Joe would be neck and neck as far as redraft and even dynasty appeal. But I don't think Herbert's skill set offers an upside and we haven't been believers the whole time. So I'm not going to all of a sudden change my tune now.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. Just uh, just about everything you said with Justin Herbert. i tell you what, though, when I'm, I'm sitting here swinging over looking at running backs, and uh, to me this is kind of where some of the fun begins when you talk about redraft rankings and dynasty rankings and you start looking at some of these running backs – you know, and the first one to me that pops off right off the board is Clyde Edwards-Elair. I've got him ranked 15th in the PPR format and redraft leagues. And to me, that's that's probably mighty high for someone like a rookie running back like Clyde edwards But I, I think about the running backs that have been in the Andy Reid offense um, dating back to Philadelphia when it was Brian Westbrook. You know, it was LaShawn McCoy. It was Jamal Charles. To me, Edwards Elaire kind of fits that mold of uh, a, a Brian Westbrook or you know Lashawn McCoy. He's real shifty. He's you know small, physical, and he can he's a great receiver out of the backfield, and he just fits this offense to a T. You know, I, I I see big high upside for him. I know Damian Williams is still on this team. I know Spencer Ware and Darrell Williams are on this team, but you're not Kansas city. And, you know, you don't go and call Patrick Mahomes at five o'clock before the draft and say, Hey, we're going to take a running back. Who do you want? And Patrick Mahomes says, give me Clyde. So not only is your, you know, future Hall of Fame quarterback saying, Give me Clyde. You've got Andy Reid who thinks Clyde is a better Brian Westbrook right now than Brian Westbrook was. And then you have the GL on top of that who was the first one to say, hey, we should draft Clyde Edwards Eilaire. You have three of the main people in this on this team who are all have bought into Clyde Edwards Eilaire. You bet your ass Clyde Edwards Eelaire is going to get a big workload and if he excels, he he could obviously finish in the top 12. It would not shock me at all if Claude Edwards-Zehler finished, say, in the top eight in the PPR format for redraft leagues. I definitely think he's someone who's got great dynasty appeal as well. That offense with, with Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Kelsey, it's just... To me, he's the number one running back off the board for rookies, and I would definitely take him in a dynasty, uh, you know, in the top three or four picks. Right. Uh, Where'd you say you had him ranked? I have him ranked at 15 in my PPR format redraft league.
1: Again, bad radio, but I have him 15 as well, and (laughs) we don't talk about this beforehand, but I think that uh, the, the sky's the limit, and I thought about lowering him a little bit, but if the offseason talks true, you know, they're going to, you know, Darrell Williams is still there and he's going to, or uh, Damian Williams is still there and he's going to get run. But then you think about it. And even if they use two running backs, obviously at the beginning of the year, there's probably going to be a, some leverage on the veteran. But if an offense of that potent uses two running backs, the other guy can score points. It's not going to, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a much better option than Kareem Hunt last year, who was still serviceable in, being able to insert him into your lineup, I mean, and by the end of the year, you would think that he would take control of the backfield. And if there was a split in his first year, it would be predominantly him. And if it's he goes through the whole year, and then if it goes into next year, you think that it's probably his his backfield all the way because you know they were a team that they let Mahomes sit. So I don't think they're going to force him into the fire. But I think you know the offense that LSU ran last year. I think Clyde's ready. I think that it fits the mold and. You know, Damian Williams is really good in their system, and there's no need for them to force one guy into a lineup. So, all that, I think 15 is still where he is going to be. And that is right in the range looking at my rankings to the first, he's the first guy in the true timeshare. So, I guess I got Chubb a little above him, but guys that are in like true timeshares that are not bell cows, he's the second guy and behind Chubb who I have two spots higher after that, you know, it goes Carson, Aaron Jones. And I think that's what you're looking at because that's where you're at. You're at 12 teams in the league have right now kind of air quotes, bell cow running backs. And even them are not true bell cows. You know, we look at Kamara and Eckler who, you know, and Drake to some extent that are going to have such higher PPR floors. So if anything happens before the season to Damian Williams, that he is cut or traded or hurt Clyde moves up to a top 10 running back. And I don't think that's that bold. I think it'd be bold to say that he'd be five or, you know, you got to think where Kareem Hunt was prior to his abuse charges. Like that is the upside in this offense. And it's the easiest see, especially in the PPR league, he could, you know, really push above Kamara because he wouldn't have, you know, I think the saints are going to spell Kamara. So I mean, he should be able to push um, Dalvin Cook because of the catch-up side that he should have and the the touchdown equality that he sees with all the souped-up guys. You know, McCaffrey, Elliott, and Barkley, you know that they're getting the ball to go on. You know they're going to touchdowns. Well, if Clyde gets that in even some of it because of how many you expect Kansas City to score, it's absolutely um, a value. Yeah, it it will be
0: interesting to see because I've got high hopes for that offense and I've got high hopes for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Now, the next guy on this on our list – bold, bold take, Adam. High hopes for the Kansas City offense. Bold take. High hopes for Clyde edwards Eler, I should say. I've got a <laughs> high hope for him. I, I, really, I really do. I I think he could definitely finish top ten in PPR. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. Now, the next guy we have on the list, who so we both have rated as our second uh, rookie running back in redraft formats, but you've got him a little bit higher than I do, and that's Keyshawn Vaughn going to Tampa. Uh, he's definitely a running back who's you know got talent. He can certainly catch. He can pass block, and he's got a whole lot of talent. You know, coming out of Vanderbilt, he he did very well against some SEC defenses, and to me, he slides into a a really perfect. I think it's more of a, a fit and more of an opportunity for Keyshawn Vaughn versus, say, maybe some like someone like Talon. Because to me, if someone, say, like a Jonathan Taylor or a Cam Akers follows into in, uh, this, this uh, setting at Tampa Bay, I think they're sitting where Keyshawn Vaughn is. So I think it's more, to me, for Keyshawn Vaughn, it's more about the opportunity that he's going to be presented. Um, with playing with Tom Brady and playing with Gronkowski and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, you know, someone's going to be, you know, uh, a James White, you know, extraordinaire in that offense. And to me, Keyshawn Vaughn is a better version of James White. Not only can he catch the ball off the backfield, but I think he's got great skills running the football. And to me, Ronald Jones is is not someone I think is going to be a, a major factor. I think you'll see some run for him maybe inside the inside the twenties, but inside outside the twenties and between the twenties, but from twenty to twenty. I think Keyshawn Vaughn will be that running back who's on the field for two and three downs and you'll see Ronald Jones in there spelling him. But for a majority, I think Keyshawn Vaughn's got some really good PPR value. I've got him at 24 right at the tail end RB2. I mean, you got him at 18. So, I mean, we're we're right there. We're pretty close. But, you know, why do you have him a little higher than, say, someone like a Mark Ingram or a Le'Veon Bell?
1: Well, I think it comes down – well, first to compare him to the other rookies, it's who – do you have to beat to get a spot? You know, I, I think everything you said about Clyde being handpicked for it, he does have to beat out a very capable running back in that offense. But we're going to find out, is it Damian Williams or is it the offense? Because every running back performs. So, obviously, it's probably going to lean to the offense because I don't think anybody's accused of Damian Williams of being some great talent. But, you know, when you compare Vaughn to the other rookies, who do they have to beat out? Freaking nobody. Like, you got Rojo, and honestly, the, the person that's going to steal probably the most touches is uh, Calais who's going to be their PPR guy, you know, but he only weighs 175 pounds. So can he pass block? You know, is he going to be – he might be like the, the real, real James White, but not even into pickup pass protection. You know, Vaughn's a big – we talked about uh, on the post-draft and the running back review, you know, he's a big pass blocker, which is what Arians cares about, you know. Ronald Jones was supposed to take over the backfield, missed the pass protection in the first quarter, and never went back in the game. So you have to be able to pass block – and I think it comes down to opportunity. So at that point, you know, I you know ahead of Ingram, Ingram was a great example of if that upside happens. But I think you know I'm high on Dobbins, but to the point where I think he could vulture some from Ingram, but Ingram's going to get a lot more walk this year. But I think that Vaughn could have all of the opportunity. You know, you know, and in the NFL where nobody, you know, other than Christian McCaffrey, nobody plays every play, so. You know, I think, you know, Singletary took a little bit of bump with Moss and just still. And I thought about it with Singletary. He has Josh Allen right there. You know, Ingram has Lamar Jackson and now Dobbins in there as well. So they are in very similar situations. And then, you know, Le'Veon's kind of floating in there as well, where he has all the opportunity, but not a whole lot of touchdown upside. And, you know, a murderous coach who hates him already. So he's like dodging bullets from a bunch of different ways. It's just it. Vaughn's a fit. Not because I at all think he is the best talent. You know, he's he, he's not one of my top four in, you know, maybe even top six as far as Dynasty goes. But this year, there's no reason. He's going to have every opportunity to succeed. If so And we're going to find out if he is capable of doing it. And, you know, I have him below Aaron Jones, and that may be wrong. You know, but Aaron Jones has shown, if given the opportunity, he can't perform. So a lot of things – you know, I, uh, short mini camps this year and short off season is gonna. People are gonna be throwing darts a lot uh, more in the dark than anybody's been used to.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's it's going to be interesting, especially if, you
1: know, there's no OTAs, rookie mini camps.
0: You know, I think that that could spell some really bad news for a lot of these rookies. Uh, especially when we get when we get to the receivers and you want to talk about redraft rankings and rookie receivers. It, it's it's going
1: to be brutal compared to, uh, you know, some of the other talent, but... Uh, well, look, and that's a, that's a good point, like talking about like rookie minicaps and even the stuff that like people don't even consider the little bit of extra stuff they get just to get them NFL ready and mentally ready. You know, Vaughn only has to beat out a second-year guy. You know, all these other guys have to get, you know, for the most part, you know, the, the people that, you know, I'm, we would probably... Piss off a lot of people on Twitter if we, you know, for where I have Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift and Dobbins rank, it's they are not going to have that rookie minicap and they have to beat out incumbent running backs who are good if healthy. And that's, you know, and that's, and the reason they're there is because they can't stay healthy. But going into the season, I think that those guys are going to get a lot more run as opposed to Ronald Jones, who took forever to figure out to begin with, if and all he did. So, I think that that goes into it just, you know, it's not only who you have to beat, but who you have to beat and they have the upper hand on you for understanding what's going on in the offense.
0: Yeah, totally. And you know, we, even when we we look at this these next two running backs, we've kind of have them, uh, you know, you have Cam Akers at 22 and I've got him at 29 for redraft. Uh, you know, Cam Akers is is another one of those running backs who's you know coming in he had a lot of hype out of Florida State comes in, you know, to the Rams, and he steps into a situation where there's been a couple running backs who have been on this team for a little while, like Malcolm Brown, uh, Daryl Henderson's, you know, that second year player who, you know, really when given the opportunity last year didn't really step up. So now, you know, I think this is more of an indictment on Daryl Henderson and him not really playing that well last year. So they go out, they cut Gurley, let him go to Atlanta. They sign and drive Cam Akers, and now you bring Cam Akers in here. You know, it's just like what you talked about, you know, with the no rookies mini camps and no OTAs and none of these things are really prepare you to be an NFL player. Uh, it's really going to be difficult for a lot of these guys to really have a head up, you know. To me, Malcolm Brown may be someone who you know kind of starts inching a little bit higher if you know, those are the routes that you know teams are going to take with no mini camps and no TAs because Cam Akers has to come in and now he's going to try to beat out you know Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson. And not to say that he's not going to be able to do that, but Cam Akers has got all the talent in the world, and given the opportunity, I think he's going to be a great fit for the Rams' offense. Um, I'm not the biggest believer in Jared Goff, but that's another story. But Cam Akers, to me, can do it all. He can catch the ball at the backfield. He can run. He can pass block. And he's really someone I think is ultimately going to be a great fit for the Rams' offense. But, you know, this year, you know, I've got him, you know, mid-ranked as RB, RB3 RB right around 29. You've got him as 22, so you're a little bit bullish on, on him. I mean, talk about some of that.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a circumstance that I do think that, he is a physical freak and I think that they've realized similar to last year like Darwin Thompson and you know some of the other rookies that you know did not pan out how they would like Ronald Jones that if Akers getting drafted is realizing that the future is not there and I think you know when Gurley got hurt you know everybody wanted Daryl Henderson to get this run well Malcolm Brown was 60-70% of the you know touches so Henderson wasn't ready or wasn't right and had the opportunity and they've seen it. And then they chose to draft a number one type running back. Like this isn't just a PPR guy. This is a first and second down back with a full skill set of athleticism that if he can do the pass blocking and improve a little receiving, he can do the entire thing and be a, a, a girly replacement in that sense. But I think he'll, Probably start a little slower, similar how we talked about the quarterbacks at the beginning of the year. Because I do think they'll trust Malcolm Brown and maybe trust him at the goal line, unless Aker shows in what time they have in camp that opportunity of not fumbling, you know, at all. So you know, because that's where the guys go with the veterans. You know, the Frank Gore, Vulture, and freaking touchdowns in Buffalo. You know, they give it to the guy that they trust the most. So I think that it's they do not have a a game breaker. It's it's like Atlanta last year, just the backups, like some of these guys are really, really good football players, but there's a reason that, you know, there's only 32 starting running backs because some of these guys just aren't good enough to do that. So it's more of an indictment. Again, the people he's around, um, I don't, I, I, I was hiring Taylor and Swift going into the draft. And I think in dynasty, I still am, but I think this year acres is going to has a clear path to succeed because yeah, he has two obstacles in the way, but it's like two, you know, pebbles. You know, Malcolm Brown is a career backup, and Henderson looks like there's an opportunity that he may just be a bust.
0: Yeah, you're you're totally right about that. Now, I'll say this. The other guy we're going to talk about right now is Jonathan Taylor in Indianapolis. I think he's fallen into a great opportunity. To me, if you ask me right now who the RB1 in Indianapolis is, I would say Jonathan Taylor. I never was a Mac believer um, he never really impressed me. He seemed to always be injured, and to me, he just struggled. You know, with you know consistency and injuries, and, and maybe part of it was the Indianapolis offense and the quarterback swings with you know Brissett and Luck and whoever else. And now it's going to be Rivers this year. Um, you know, maybe that's some of it, but I just don't think Mac was a good running back. And now you step in, uh, you get Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin, who was perhaps one of the best running backs of college football last year. And one can argue he was the number one running back on the board for NFL draft purposes this year. And to me, he falls in a pretty good Opportunity. He's going to have, you know, one of the best offensive lines of football running in front of him. He's going to have a veteran quarterback. He's going to have some veteran receivers. To me, he's fallen in a good opportunity where if this offense can get going and Rivers can play, you know, like three years ago, Phillip Rivers where he looked a little bit more consistent and, you know, actually showed some you know kind of moxie and some leadership. You know, if he can do that, to me, Jonathan Taylor presents – a lot of upside for you know, someone I've got ranked at twenty-eight I and then mean, you got him ranked at twenty-six. So we're pretty close there. But to me, it, it wouldn't shock me at all if Jonathan Taylor finished into and in say a top twenty-four PPR rank at the end of the season. And I certainly think in the long run, you know, Jonathan Taylor still has there's still some quarterback issues, obviously, in Indianapolis. Phillip Rivers is not the answer long term. I don't think Jacoby Brissett is the answer long term. So there are some question marks there with that Indianapolis offense. But
1: Jacob Eason, baby. Jacob yeah, Eason. Jacob
0: Eason. He's Jacob Eason has a chance to learn behind Philip Rivers, but to me, that that's like throwing a dart at a dart board, board blindfolded. You just don't know what you're gonna get out of that kid. And I'm not someone I'm not someone who really believes that Jacob Eason is gonna be the answer in Indianapolis.
1: Yeah, I Jonathan Taylor's one that I may be wrong on, and he's one that I think could have a big jump up as it goes, seeing how things uh, work out uh, with Mac and how they go into the season. I, I think they know what they have in Mac. I think it's going to be the veterans getting a shot. And I think he has to show something in camp because of all these running backs, Taylor has the worst fumbling problem. And just how we talked about acre, you know, who's getting the goal line touches Mac is going to get the goal line touches until Taylor proves otherwise. And until Taylor fumbles once near the goal line. So that's not going to work for a team with, you know, Super Bowl aspirations because the defense is going to be good. The players are in there. They paid the veteran to come in, you know, a la Peyton Manning type situation. And they think they got a shot. So I, if you cough it up, I think you can lose it in a hurry, you know, and, you know, I think Frank Reich, maybe to a fault um, because of the circumstances he's been around, he's used a lot of running backs, um, mostly because they're always banged up. But it's, it's one of those things because, you know, kind of with him, I think Taylor and Switzer are very similar situations because they have very bruising, athletic running backs in front of them that get hurt quite often. And I think those coaches, maybe they would love to have a three-down back and give it to them all the time. But you almost feel like they kind of want to shy away from that now. Some of those situations, there's like those ebbs and flows and swings. And I don't know if they're going to want to throw the rookie to the fire. And Taylor's had a lot of carries under his belt already. So Max on the final year's deal, they can run him to death and have a future with Taylor. So I think that all the circumstances are going to lead to a few less touches for Taylor where they may go to Mac throughout the season, but especially out the game. Really? Uh, that surprises
0: me. I'm just, I don't think I'm just not a Mac believer. And I just think Taylor is his talent alone. will just, I think the cream rises to the crop, to the, to the top of this occasion. And I really think Jonathan Taylor is going to be uh probably to me, he's going to be touching the ball 20 plus times uh, after week five, week six.
1: Well, if he, if he's getting that, then he needs to go up past, he needs to go up there by Vaughn. And I mean, he needs to be top 20. If he's going to be getting those touches, then he absolutely, with that offensive line um, and what that offense could do. I think that uh, he, he needs to move up. I just, I, I I want to see it. Uh, You know, I think it's a great, I think it's a great dynasty landing spot this year. I, I'm I'm interested to see how the Colts kind of reform with all their new pieces.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see. Um, this next running back who, uh, you know, we kind of differ on a little bit, and that's DeAndre Swift. I've got him at 41, and you've got him at 30. I, I guess I'm a little bit more believing in, in Kerryon Johnson, the talent's still there, and I'm not saying that DeAndre Swift – uh, doesn't have a whole lot of talent because he does. And he's more than a capable back. But I kind of worry about this offense and, you know, where it's going. Cause I feel like, you know, for a while, Detroit has struggled to run the football, you know, whether it was with, you know, X, Y, Z running back over the past 15 years. Uh, I don't think Detroit has had a thousand yard rusher since Barry Sanders. And to me, that's extremely troubling, you know, because carry on hasn't done it. Um, I'm not sure if DeAndre Swift is going to be someone who can. I think he's certainly got the talent, but I I worry about this offensive line. I worry about Mount Stafford's health, and I worry about the consistency that this offense can maybe try to produce with DeAndre Swift and Kerryon Johnson. I do believe in Kerryon Johnson. I still think he's a capable running back, and I kind of think it's going to be more of a one-two punch rather than Swift. You know, like like some of these other guys like Vaughn and Clyde edwards Lair and Taylor – coming into situations, to me, DeAndre Swift walks into a situation where he's going to have to beat out on Johnson to, to be that type of 1A running back. And I'm just not sure with OTAs, mini camps, rookie camps, and all that crap, you know, not not happening. I'm just not sure if there's going to have that time to do that, uh, which is why I've got him ranked at 41. And like I said, I do believe in Kerryon, and I think on is a good running back, and I think he will have the leg up when this race begins in training camp.
1: Well, I think the reason I have him below Taylor is I too believe more carry on than Mac. Uh, you know, I think he's a, he's a better talent. Um, and they have more invested in him. And, but I think Swift walks into a better situation than Taylor. So they almost kind of level out. And I, that's why I have him so close to the rank. Cause I think Swift can immediately be the third down running back. So now you have catch upside where I think given that opportunity, his ability to make plays and with the carries, and at some point carry on getting hurt, you know, he is going to have that potential, you know, could he stay in that number two role the whole year? Maybe, but you know, I, I I think I would think 40 is way too low. I think his upside and what should be so much of a floor again, if he comes in and he's the third down back, now, you know, you have a floor with the PPR catches and it's just a matter of how many touches is he getting. And then how many of that is carries versus catches so I think you know that's why I keep him up there, and now you're talking about you're in this lower level of running backs that are splitting. You know I have him with I have him a higher rank to carry on because I think the catches are going to overshadow him, and I think at some point he's going to pass it. And for the record, you know I have, you know Taylor much higher than Mac. So I do think that you know they could be the premier, they should be the better back in their backfields throughout the season, especially at the end, but. As long as those guys are there, I think that they're going to hold the back. Similar to what I thought about Clyde with Damian holding them back, I just think Kansas City is a much more prolific offense and the opportunity will shift much quicker there where these guys are going to be a year away from possibly being you know, top 15. Yeah, backs. I, I see what you're going there, and I, I
0: get exactly what you're saying, and I think you're, you're exactly right with some of those things that you're saying. Um, you know, the next guy that we have on the list, is, who I did not even rank in my top 55, um, but you haven't got him ranked in 41. And I get it. And that's J.K. Dobbins uh, over in Baltimore. The the thing to me that worry, I worry about Dobbins is Dobbins maybe getting Justice Hill because I had all this you know high hopes for Justice Hill last year. I thought he was going to be someone who would eventually take over for Gus Edwards and maybe even Mark Ingram. And it just never happened for Justice Hill. And I'm not saying J.K. Dobbins, Justice over the same running backs because they certainly aren't. J.K. Dobbins is a lot more talent. He has breakaway speed. But to me, there are a lot of mouths to feed in that backfield when you're running the football in Baltimore. Um, little do you know, in the past two seasons, uh, Lamar Jackson has ran the ball over 250 carries in the past two seasons. I'm not sure that's something that Lamar Jackson can keep up without going down. Um, I'm not sure if that's something Baltimore is looking at, and maybe that's kind of the theory behind drafting J.K. Dobbins is to maybe start giving the football to more to Dobbins and Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards and those group, Um, because that's a lot of carries for a running back or for a quarterback. And that does concern me. And maybe they're going to do that, but if they still keep with this high powered offense, you know, Lamar Jackson's going to get his, Mark Ingram is going to get his. How many balls realistically does that leave for Dobbins? I mean, to me, that leaves Dobbins in maybe a 9 to 12 touch mark per game. And I'm not sure with those touches how much he's really going to be able to do. And to me, he's certainly not, I don't think he's going to be someone you're going to be counting on in redraft. But in a dynasty purposes and a dynasty format, um, he may not to return value this year, but Mark Ingram is getting older. Gus Edwards was undrafted. J.K. Dobbins clearly is the heir apparent for a for Baltimore, and he is probably one of the top three or four running backs in a dynasty format. And he is someone who's going to return incredible value down the road in a couple years when that offense matures a little bit more and marking removes on. But for redraft purposes, I'm just not sure how much he's going to return this year.
1: No, I mean, I don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of return there. I don't think he's going to have, you know, RB2 upside week in and week out. I think he has RB1 upside if something were to happen to Ingram. So I think that in and of itself, I mean, he's I have him ranked 41 at this point. We're all just, you know, grabbing at straws and hoping to find something. I don't I don't think if you get in this range, you're looking for, obviously, a running back that you're like, oh, I could get by with him as a starter or flex. But Baltimore – runs the ball more than any I mean the reason Lamar Jackson is 250 rushing attempts is because Baltimore attempts five more rushing attempts than San Francisco does which is three more I think than Seattle does and you can the list keeps <laughs> going down from there you know that the reason they Lamar Jackson runs it yeah you know, it's all about relativity you know if Lamar Jackson may have 20 250 attempts but they also have you know, 70 more attempts than everybody else. Now that still lowers the running backs, but, you know, Ingram just hung up 16 touchdowns. I think Ingram is the, the going to have every opportunity this year. I do think Dobbins will get a little more run. And if if he gets the opportunity that some of those backups had last year, he will have some week in and week out value that you don't know when it's going to come, but don't forget, you know, Mark popped the calf at the end of last year. So he's going to have, you know, he, he, he is not injury prone, but he's definitely been bit by the bug before. So if that happens, they have a three on back. that could come in, you know, they've seen what they, some of these times, these guys, they just don't fit in the culture or the scheme or the something. And, you know, Hill was a popular backup. Gus was always been serviceable, but Gus Edwards is, you know, similar to, you know, Malcolm Brown. They, they are good NFL running backs in the sense that like they are humans that are capable of doing it, but not in the sense that they're going to win you fantasy. You know, they may help guys win games because maybe they're the weakest link on the offense, but those aren't guys that you want to draft, you know, opportunity is a whole lot of everything, but it's all about relative to who you're comparing them against. So I just think Dobbins with opportunity is an absolute just gangbuster. Um, Even, Though Lamar Jackson obviously your stuff a la Josh Allen and, you know, all the other runners.
0: Yeah, totally. And, and totally, I could definitely see that if Mark Ingram went down. You're right, Gus Edwards is, is just a dude. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, to me, would become that three-down back, and he would have that top 12
1: PPR potential. So I could totally see something like that. You know, And, and, and to me, yeah, and then to me, every other running back after Dobbins is a true – um, handcuff, You know, I think you may get some week in and week out opportunity with Josh Kelly. But for the rest of these guys, like I, I, you know, you draft them in the hopes that the guy, the starter goes down. Dobbins kind of starts that trend. But, you know, I think that's where the shift is from, you know, Swift to these other guys. Is you know the weekend week out versus the value of opportunity if if were to change. Sport.
0: Yeah, and I was gonna say something, something similar. You know, after Dobbins, it's really kind of a crapshoot with where you have these running backs. You know, ranked it's more or less a lottery ticket in hopes that, hey, you know, this isn't gonna be someone you count on weekend and week out in the redraft. But if. Say someone goes down like a Mike, like a Devin Singletary or an Aaron Jones. Well, then instant, instantly right there, Zach Moss and AJ Dillon would would pop up the boards, you know, into the top twenty four or top thirty. But as of you know, redraft leagues, you know, these aren't some guys you're going to be counting on week in and week out.
1: Right, and I think you know, week in and week out, Josh Kelly has the most value out of all those guys because I think he will be almost guaranteed more touches than maybe Dylan, you know, I've heard, you know, I heard the GM talk in Buffalo that uh, they looked at uh, Moss similar to Gore. And so if he's getting the goal line touches, the big guy, now it may be a lot of Josh Allen, but you might be able to, some of these guys, you may be able to bank on vulturing touchdowns. And, you know, if, especially when you see what the carries are going to be. So that's why I think Singletary is going to be very similar to what he was. And then I think that, you know, some of these other guys, you know, if one if the guy in front of them goes down they're probably going to get the first you'll, they'll get the most opportunity to have big upsides they may not get the immediate crack out at, at it like Henderson and Michael Brown last year but they may be the ones that for the long haul depending on the energy you want to in, uh, injury you want to run yeah out. and
0: you know, you talk about touchdown vulture and I think Aaron Jones has a lot of a lot of issues with touchdown vulture with AJ Dillon uh over there in Green Bay, I think that's certainly somebody who could do some serious touchdown vulturing uh, when they get inside the five. I mean, AJ Dillon, Dillon is a big, big man, man. I mean, you're talking about someone who's 6'1", 245, and runs a four five three. So, I could definitely see someone like him, you know, getting some vulture, you know, touchdowns. He's probably someone you'd more want to own in like a half point PPR or even a standard league. You know, someone who's you're going to count on for more like touchdowns. <laughs> Than uh, numbers and receipt and, and receptions,
1: right? And I just and if that does happen, then everybody probably in the world has Aaron Jones ranked too high. If all of a sudden that they put in, um, if they put Dylan in to be the touchdown goal line back, then uh, Aaron Jones' owners are gonna. Be it it a really long makes year. you
0: wonder what what they're up to because you've got Jamal Williams over there too. So I mean, like, what the fuck are you gonna? It, it just really makes you wonder what about
1: Aaron Jones. Well, that's right. So it means Aaron Jones is your first down, second down back. Jamal Williams is your third down back, and now you have um, Dylan as your goal line back. So it's just none of them are going to have value. Aaron Jones will have the most because he can is the most big play potential. But unless somebody gets hurt, which is what happened with Aaron Jones last year too, I mean somebody has to get hurt to for Aaron Jones to get to Aaron Jones potential. So everybody's going to start the season healthy theoretically and that means for uh, just a crap shoot in Bay. yeah
0: that'll be interesting uh swinging over to the rookie receivers you know this one to me is a little more of a crap shoot than the running backs are rookie receivers really really tend not to produce a whole lot in their rookie and and even maybe even to their second years. I I think last year was kind of an exception with, you know, your DK Metcalfs and your Debo Samuels and, you know, some of your receivers who really, you know, took a step. Like Terry McLaurin was another guy who took those steps and really had some big seasons. But even then, you know, those guys fell off. And I think, you know, I don't think there's many rookie receivers that really, to me, stick out in a redraft format other than, you know, a couple guys that I've got listed, and we'll go through them here in just a second, but uh, it just really – it's really tough to try to project rookie receivers because there's so much you have to learn and there's so much timing and rhythm that you have to build with the quarterback, and if we're not looking at, you know, mini camps and OTAs and things like that, these rookie rookie receivers are going to struggle
1: mightily. Right, and I think, you know, as far as redraft, I mean, you can really – Kind of group these guys, you know, because you'd love to find Terry have Terry McLaurin before Week One, but most of the time the guys are going to get off the of streaming. These guys are bigger names, and because of last year, which I agree was much more of a abnormality, because you know that you didn't even say Preston Williams right. and AJ Brown. I mean, they had so many, and but a lot of that potential, like Preston Williams, was at the beginning of the year. You know, Terry McLaurin especially was at the beginning of the year, and then AJ Brown was on the back end of the year, and DK was kind of up and down throughout. So. You, it's, it's going to be a rocky road for a lot of these guys, but, you know, it's, you know, if you're looking for somebody that can be like a number one in the sense that they could be the only guy, you know, Rugs and Mims jump out at you because they have the clearest path to opportunity. Now they're also in much worse offenses than a lot of these other guys are, but sometimes that pays off. Give me the number one receiver on a bad team. Give me Terry McLaurin last year. Redskins were terrible but everything flowed through him. So could Ruggs or um, Mims catch fire? Absolutely. You know, Rager would be in that camp, but then they had ran an article today but about how Alshon's going to be heavily involved <laughs> in the offense. And, you know, Deshaun's not going anywhere. And it's just like I, – I just don't know. I think he's a year away from being legit. So, you know, you ha- kind of have those number one guys, and then you have the number two – that you hope is like the PPR PPR floor, you know, with Jefferson, Pittman, Judy, Chenault, C.D. Lamb, you know, and they kind of all rank differently in there, you know, and how I think about them at Dynasty. But for a redraft purpose, you know, you, know, you have the groups that should be the number – should and could be the number one on their team. But who knows if it's going to work out? Who knows the chemistry is going to be there? Who knows if you, if you want to trust Sam Darnold and Derek Carr? You know, that's what you're asking yourself. And then – do you want to go to the number two receiver on a team that should be better? But you know, a lot of those teams that draft the receivers are not the most throw happy teams. You know, Jefferson's in Minnesota, Pittman's in Indy, um, Judy. We're not exactly sure what he's going to be, but he's surrounded by people, and C.D. Lamb is surrounded by people and Zeke. So your run first teams and a lot of unknown. So the redraft for these guys, you know, pick your favorite and and throw a dart until we get closer to the season because I don't know which one right now out of all, you know, out of the top 10. And Oh, by the way, I have like a man crush on Anthony Gandy golden. So, you know, I don't know right now where they're going to fit. And, you know, why would you, why would you throw a dart for those guys when you expect somebody like Slayton, who we haven't said yet, and some of these other second year guys that you saw you know those put that potential there because you saw it and you expect them to get better. Like it's just a safer investment for your draft equity at a lot of these places where you can get, you know, all these second year guys that already hit and you can keep running with them. Yeah,
0: you're you're totally right. It is throwing the dart. Uh, at a draft uh, at a board you know when you're looking at some of these rookie receivers you're just kind of hoping and praying that you know some of these guys land in the right spot and, you know and I'm thinking just like right what you just said about Jalen Rager and Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson being involved that really just makes Rager's value just plumbing down the draft board but you know when you flip it over you know and look at dynasty potential and look at some of these guys you know, a lot of these guys have some high-end potential like Jerry Judy. Uh, I think Michael Pittman Jr. is could be the sleeper of this rookie class. And I love the the where he landed uh, for Indianapolis because I think if Indianapolis can find a quarterback past Phillip Rivers, I think Pittman Jr. has enough talent to be, you know, one of the next really good receivers in Indy. Um, he's someone I kind of have a little man crush on, and I, I like I said, I really liked where he landed uh, with that offense in Indy. I just hope that Frank Wright and company can find a quarterback to get them, uh, get him where he needs to be because he certainly has talent. And obviously, Ceedee Lamb, you know, when when if if uh, Amari Cooper ends up leaving in a year or two, you know, after the guaranteed money gets paid out. Uh, C.D. Lamb obviously would vault to the top of the one of the tops of the wide receiver boards, uh, you know, in all formats, including Dynasty. So he is someone that you have to really look hard at in Dynasty, you know, along with some of these other receivers like Ruggs, Higgins, and Nums, uh, and I.U. and you know, the names keep going and going. For just for redraft purposes, though, you're you're just it's really hit or miss. There's guys here that you're just not going to be counting
1: on uh, on a weekend and a week out basis. Yeah, absolutely. I, Lamb to me is the biggest difference between a redraft versus a dynasty. I don't see myself owning Lamb in any redraft team. I mean, he could be a last round flyer type of guy. Not that I don't think that he could. Like, if you have to start three wide receiver, then you have a flex. Could he be your flex? Possibly, but that's just a lot of mouths to feed, and. You, I mean, I, I if the Cowboys make a huge elite, but I mean, Dak had a pretty good year last year. So to ask him to significantly improve and bring everybody up around him, but for dynasty purposes, you know, we talked about already, you know, a couple of shows ago or last show, you know, Amari's contract situation. And I mean, there's Dak's age and you pair him with Cooper, I mean, uh, with Gallup, you know, Cooper now could be expendable. So I, I think that there could be a change in the guards and Amari Cooper is really good and really inconsistent lamb could be really good and consistent so to me he's the biggest mover and shaker between a redraft versus dynasty and then it's just you know how you think about the guys i love justin jefferson's landing spot but at the same time the volume probably is not going to be there you know he's going to be a probably a pretty good ppr guy but you know it's just that what zimmer wants to do is not going to be force the receivers to football so really interesting you know i I think judy judy right now is to me probably one of the low lowers for me on a redraft even though the name's sexy and the everybody's talking about it, it's all good but you you know you got a second year quarterback a team probably going to want to run the ball to protect everybody with a young tight end that's going to create opportunities for themselves and a number one receiver to judy maybe will become but right now you know sutton is going to be the alpha probably on the team and it's just I, I, I'm, it's going to be hard to buy in on some of these guys, even with these number two opportunities for these redrafts. I mean, you hope that, you know, you, if they blow up in week one or week two, throw your fab at them. but, you know, or hope you're high up on the waivers. But a lot of these guys, it's just, it's going to be hard for them to pay dividends for any sort of equity when, you know, why not draft? You know, I literally, I'm looking at my rankings for wide receiver and 29's McLaurin, 30's Metcalf, 31's Debo. Like, you know what those guys are capable of. You've seen what they did last year, and you expect it to only improve. Like, I will obviously take any of those guys over my number one on redraft is Ruggs, only because he has the clearest path and the clearest opportunity and big play upside. And he's far from my favorite receiver in this draft. So I would have loved to see, like, CeeDee Lamb go there or something like that. Like, CeeDee Lamb goes to Vegas. Like, that's amazing. But we now have what we have. So, you know, it's it's gonna be interesting for Dynasty. Uh for the record, I go Lamb Rager Judy as my top three for Dynasty. Yeah,
0: and there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. I, I, I totally get it. Um I actually go Judy Jefferson Lamb in that sense, um, for Dynasty. And but I have Pittman, you know, right behind right behind Lamb at four, and who I think who I said
1: I was high on. So uh Right. You know, like I have and I have I have Pittman at four and Jefferson at five. And it's similar. Like, I think it's just Jefferson is in the lowest throw volume out of these top five guys. And that's where he fits. That's why he's right there in that five spot. Like, and I think all five of these guys could be, you know, prolific in the league if, you know, everything you know settles out. Right. Because I do think, you know, if some of these skeletons and old people last in Philadelphia another year, Rager will be primed to make a big jump next year or probably that third year breakout, you know, the traditional third year breakout. You know, he has that opportunity and now you have a quality backup with, with Jalen hurts going there for if Wentz were to go down, you now know at least what that's going to be and that future of those two guys. so, and they're going to see a lot of reps together too. So it's uh you know it, it's definitely some the significant these guys receivers dynasty values are much and, the, and some rookie redrafts are going to be much higher i know we're going to talk about rookie redraft and um, do a draft show here coming up so it definitely changes perspective when you, even, even when you compare them to the running back
0: yeah to me it's it's night and day when you talk about You know, rookie receivers and a redraft ranking them and ranking them in dynasty formats—it's just night and day because it just these days it usually takes receivers a couple years to really blossom and break out. Um, You're not—you don't get these receivers all the time. You know, just. Coming in their rookie seasons and just having monster numbers, it just doesn't work like that for receivers versus running backs where, you know, they're given the opportunity to put the ball in their hands because they are running back. And, you know, you hit holes and you bounce on the outside and you run your little flat routes and banana routes and, you know, you are able to get opportunities. So when you look at rookie running backs in redraft formats compared to Dynasty, they are kind of comparable because they do have similar values versus the receivers who, you know, really fall off in a rookie in a redraft league compared
1: to a dynasty. Right. Somebody that I may be way too low on right now for redraft, just maybe because it just wasn't sexy enough where I had him ranked going into it, but Chenault going to Jacksonville, he could have immediate, um, like he might be startable, you know, wide receiver three or flex, you know, if you have that, you know, three receivers and a flex option, like Chenault, should see a volume opposite of DJ Chark, and Jacksonville's going to be bad on defense um, right now. Who knows if they're going to have Fournette? Uh, you know, speaking of risers, you know the Armstead's going to shoot up, but you know, they're talking about bringing Freeman in there. They're literally just like anybody that wasn't named. They're just like dumping out of Jacksonville. It's 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 crazy to think how good they were a couple of years ago to this shit show now. But Chenault could be a guy that has you know week one volume play that, you know, it just because he's not the sexy name on the good team, you know, you don't have Terry McLaurin showed you don't have to be on a good team to score points, you know, Preston Williams. So that's somebody just to keep in the back of your hip mind for some redraft purposes, because realistically, you know, I, I you can you can make a case for Chennault being the number two redraft receiver off the board because of the opportunity that he's going into and the amount that Minshew's probably going to have to throw, especially if they get rid of Fournette. Like Think of all the touches that Fournette got and all the catches. You know, they brought Chris Thompson in. They're talking about possibly bringing Devonta Freeman in. Like, you know, you're bringing in a fucking ragtag bunch of misfit toys, and you're going to have him and Charco on the outside probably feasting off of it, you know. So, Jacksonville could have – if if Minshew is capable, you know, those two guys are going to have, you know, some high-volume upside. So just a name to keep. And honestly, I go all the way down to 12 to my receivers in Dynasty that I'm okay with. You know, like I think that, you know, the back end of mine is Aunt, uh, Gandy Golden, IU uh, at San Francisco, Claypool at Pittsburgh, and then Higgins in Cincinnati. You know, I think Higgins may have the longest to wait out of this group. That's why I have him ranked lower. But A.J. Green's situation could settle that pretty quick. Or if they move on from some of these other – Bodies in there. If there's a clearer path, Higgins could move up immediately. When we talked about the rapport he had with uh, um, Joe already, so I think that he has really, really good dynasty appeal. But he's somebody that you're going to probably you might have to he might have to ride the pine on your team for a year, maybe two. But you know his talent is obviously there. So you go 12 deep before I even start getting nervous about wide receiver. So I think if you're the back end, you know you're you're in the second round of a dynasty draft this year. Between the depth of receiver, you know, the three quarterbacks, and the running backs that we talked about, I, I you know, and including a lot of those backup guys, you know, like Lamichael P Ryan has a lot of dynasty value because it's no secret they don't like uh, Le'Veon in New York, so he could get some run much sooner than expected. So I, I think you can go two to kind of three rounds deep, maybe not all the way into the third round, but where you're still making quality picks and you should be able to find names that you recognize, not just like looking at your, you know, all preseason magazine trying to find. (laughs) Yeah. um, I I really, I really do agree with a lot. You're saying, I think the rookie draft
0: for dynasty purposes is deep and it does go deep in the receivers, you know, 12, 13, 14 deep, you know, with the top three, four quarterbacks who we didn't even talk about Jordan love tonight. Um, but you look at those quarterbacks, you know, because Aaron Rodgers, to me, his time is starting to tick in Green Bay. So Jordan Love may be playing sooner rather than later as well. So you look at these quarterbacks and you look at these running backs and receivers, and really, if you've got you know, a few picks that you're kind of sitting in, sitting pretty in the middle of second round, maybe even early third round, I think you're going to acquire some good potential talent that could really uh, take you places in your dynasty formats uh, for years to come.
1: Right, and I, 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 in our dynasty, I own the two eleven and the two twelve, and I've kind of looked at packaging to move up, and I almost don't even care because I know that there's I, I might not get to pick who I want, but who I end up with, and I let the draft come to me. I'm not worried about. So it's uh, you know, I think we go twenty four, you know, kind of top tier deep, and I think how things are going to fall, and I think you know, depending on how some people feel about these love, like you said, like love or. You know, Eason, like, love him or hate him, you know, we're not, you know, we're not Herbert or Eason necessarily believers, but obviously somebody believed in them and they're both in very good situations. So they're going to warrant a significant rookie redraft value based off of opportunity, you know, and then depending on how, you know, in, in the Dynasty League, for example, I own Wentz. Does Hurts matter to me, you know, because maybe I want that back with, you know, opportunity. I'm not one for hand, handcuffing a quarterback. But, you know, if you own Josh Allen, do you draft Jake Fromm late? So everybody's going to find – you're going to find value in a lot of different places. And that's – you know, if you're the Le'Veon or, or owner, like I think it is pertinent for you to reach for LaMichael Pirine, you know, type of situation. When you're looking at Dynasty because that makes just an easy transition.
0: Yeah. Know? you make you know, plenty of points for for dynasty novices out there you know who are looking you know into dynasty leagues you know that really makes a lot of sense on some of the things that you say and so there will be value in those third and fourth rounds so don't you know just stare at your magazine or your notebook and just look like you know look at like a deer in the headlines like you don't know any of these names on the board you listen to us you listen to the fantasy pandemic you'll hear about some of these names and you'll have a general idea when you're drafting third and fourth round who you need to take Absolutely,
1: good deal. Share, tell your friends.
0: <laughs> good deal. Well, guys, that's all the time we have for tonight. Uh, I thank you guys again for uh, listening to us. You can give us a follow on Twitter at Fancy Pandemic. Uh, you can follow me at Fancy Cajun, and you can follow Vincent at FF Littlefinger. Otherwise, we will be back with you guys later on this week. I uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast and have a good night.
1: Good night, everybody. Remember, knowledge is power.